Stories connect us. They build empathy and understanding across difference. Stories are the basic building blocks of community. If you are brave enough to share your story and have the empathy to listen. But when was the last time someone really listened to you or you listened to someone else? Each episode, we choose a theme and stories from our archives of thousands of stories collected using the Facing Projects model. Every story you hear was produced by two people who took the time to listen and share and collaborate on a monologue told from one of their lived experiences. People who listened instead of judged. What if we all sought to understand? This is The Facing Project. Hello, everyone. I'm Kelsey Timmerman. And I'm J.R. Jameson. And we are the founders of The Facing Project. So, Kelsey, I want you to go way, 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 way back in your mind. Do you know what went on when you were being born? Well, I know it was just me and my mom. <laughs> well, yeah. That seems like it probably would be. But weren't there any doctors or anyone <laughs> well, else in the hopefully. room? Hopefully. It was in a hospital. Uh, I've been told. This is a story I've been told, right? My father was not actually there because my dad was working construction and I guess in the wintertime and fell off a building. Oh my gosh. And he ruptured his spleen. So he went to the hospital and then they sent him home and he was like bleeding out and didn't realize it. So I think he was in some state of recovery. I'm not exactly sure where, but it turns out my dad had an extra spleen, which is like so like my dad to be so prepared that he had like an extra thing. So it was just just the two of us there, uh, I guess. And that's, you know, that's what I've been told. So I have a question for you. Okay. Do you know some things that happened to your mom and dad when they were in school? I do. Actually, when my dad was in college, he went to Bible college for a semester. And why he had to leave was because of the famous dynamite incident of 1961. <laughs> at, at, wait, at the Bible college. At the Bible college. Dynamite and Bible. Okay. Yes. Uh, it, it can be explosive in good and bad ways. And, and in his incident, he and a buddy found a stick of dynamite and thought it would be fun to set it off during finals week in the quad area, which, you know, kind of grassy area where people would come together. It was during the night, so nobody was around. They let it off. It blew a huge hole in the ground, and he was expelled from school. And in 1961 in Missouri, like, you just got kicked out of school. Like, today, that would be a criminal offense. A terrorist. Your dad is a terrorist. Right, like, there would be investigations. He was just, like, called to the dean of students' office and essentially said, like, yeah, don't come back after winter break, (laughs) right? Uh, But that changed, like, the whole trajectory of his life, right? I mean, because he never ended up finishing college and it really impacted the type of careers he chose to work and and really what set forth his narrative of his life. I have so many more questions, but I think it <laughs> might derail this episode. Uh, yeah. uh, so we start with both of these questions because they're both part of the Do You Know scale developed by researchers at Emory University's Family Narrative Lab. The scale asked 20 questions to see how much individuals knew about their family history. The researchers found that individuals who knew more about their families were happier, 
healthier, and more able to overcome challenges. And what they also found that there are three unifying family narratives that we all use when we tell our stories. There's the ascending narrative, and that's we came from a little and we achieved much in our life. And then there's the descending narrative, that's we used to have it all and then we lost it. But really, the, the strongest narrative is the oscillating, and that's a balance of both. It's this idea of we've had ups and we've had downs, but we've always had each other. So my dad's was the descending because he fell off the roof. What was yes. the dynamite? Um, well, you know, I want to say oscillating because, you know, like an explosion would maybe cause like, I don't know, stuff to oscillate in the air. Uh, so I, I guess that's a down, but uh, I guess the up would be it created a whole new life for him. But oh. maybe one he, he wouldn't have chosen. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm really like grasping his straws. <laughs> So today's theme is the legacy of stories. You'll hear two stories, one a letter from a grandmother to a granddaughter, and the other a story of a man who returns home to find one family legacy forgotten and another rediscovered. My Grandbaby Linda Woods' story from Neighborhood Narratives in Dayton, Ohio. A Facing Project, performed by Chandra Ford. Have I ever told you the story of how you got your name? You are named after the Ella Fitzgerald. You needed a name fit for the strong African-American woman you were destined to become. Like the queen of jazz, you will leave your own legacy. Do you know how many generations of our family has lived in Dayton? Our legacy all started when your great-great-grandparents moved from Atlanta. All these years later, we are still here in Edgemont. But things were different then. Dayton was a different city then. People came to Dayton because it was a place where you could start from nothing. A place where you could get a job. Man woman, black, white, it didn't matter. Dayton was a place for anyone willing to work. Edgemont was a tight-knit black community, a village of people willing to help each other out. That is, until the highway split us up into Carolyn and Edgemont. That caused some changes, being separated from your neighbors. Before, you could walk down the street to go to the grocery store. But when the jobs went away, everything else followed. Stores started closing, houses started falling apart, and so did the people who lived there. Despite this, Dayton offers so much for you. The youth, including you, Ella, are the future of this city. You one day will go to Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, just like all your grandparents, cousins, and mother have done. I know if you walk down some streets in our neighborhood, you see all of the blight and hardships suffered, but know that you are supported by your family and this community. It takes a village to raise a child, and if your family is close, that's your village. We are your village. You adopt people, and people adopt you. Carry yourself well, and people will be kind to you. 
We need to build this community back up. Regardless of what happened to us, we are still here. Most of us old people here are hanging on, but you are the youth. Dayton is still a working woman's town, and I want you to know that you have the support of your community to get the education and skills you need to succeed to one day give back to our neighborhood. Love, Grandma. The story you just heard led with one of the questions from the Do You Know scale. To see the rest of the questions, visit facingproject.com slash do you know. Remembrance of a Legacy, an anonymous story as told to Tessa Smith from Facing Change, Exploring Community in Northern Colorado, a Facing Project, performed by Bill Inman. The speed at which a place forgets you after you're gone is scary. Regardless of what you might have done during your time there, it just doesn't even matter. None of it really matters. And you know, my uncle on my mother's side was Glenn Miller. He was actually inducted into the Colorado Music Hall of Fame a few years back. I took a trip over there one time to try and see the collection. But when we got there, the person working didn't know anything about Glenn Miller. And honestly... We barely even got in to see the exhibit. I can't imagine not knowing who Glenn Miller was, and then disregarding the fact that he was my uncle. He was a man who left a legacy across the nation. There's something pretty indescribable when you realize how little people remember you when you're gone. That feeling I experienced when I realized this was, well, it was shocking. You're forgotten mighty fast. Realizing that someone like Glenn Miller could be reduced to the memories of few people at such a quick and quiet pace really shaped the perspective I had of my own father's contributions to his workplace and even perhaps his own legacy. Growing up, watching him design and paint sets for his shows really helped cultivate a personal love for artistic experiences throughout my own life. He was a professor at what is now known as the University of Northern Colorado. As the youngest son, I remember different parts of my father's involvement with the university. With that, I've come to realize the fleeting nature of remembering and how, pretty much, as soon as you're gone, your connections and contributions are swept out into the vast space of forgotten moments. It was with these thoughts in my head that I made a trip to the University of Northern Colorado's archives. Several years back, I had dropped off some things at the archives office that my father had used during his time as a professor there. I visited and just left the staff with several big garbage bags full of some of his paintings, his manuscripts, and slides of his theater sets, because that was the only conveyance I had. I knew the university would be the most apt place where these things could be stored, at least for a while. On my trip back to the university, I went down to the basement of Michener Library, and lo and behold, on the wall were some of my father's paintings. And mind you, the staff had no idea I was coming, no idea at all. And yet, 
I walked into that library, and the first thing I saw were my dad's paintings on the wall. My first thought was, my goodness, it can't be true. And you know what? It isn't just about my dad who happened to make a contribution here, as I'm sure hundreds and hundreds of people do, but it's involvement and working for an institution that values what you do. What a legacy. Legacy. What a strange thing. What does it mean if you contribute so much to a community and a place, but then once you're gone, there's no memory of your contributions? Who's to say any one person's contributions are any greater or more worthy of remembrance than anyone else's? I've traveled to many places over the course of my life, and in each, I've been able to find connections because of my father's legacy. The love I have for art and expression, I have because of his work and involvement at the university. How do you hold a space open for someone who's not around anymore, but, for at least you and some others, really did make a contribution worthy of remembrance to the community around them? Although change has happened in many of my experiences, and definitely in Greeley, I've found that, ultimately, this community is a great place to come back to. I learned a lot here, and the time I spent here has definitely helped shape me. Besides experiencing that there are people out there who actually care, I also learned that, no matter what, you take yourself with you when you go elsewhere. You take your appreciations and talents and values with you, which make you confident that you can change and find soil where these things can root wherever you go. And that is very comforting. I feel like with Remembrance of a Legacy, the story we just heard, it's so much about leaving and coming back to find your community. And you've experienced this with so many people you've met throughout your life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, do you want to be here? Uh, there are days, like like really cold days, uh, when it's gray for several months, where I often think to myself, like, why am I still here in Indiana? Uh, but most of the time, I I do. I love community. I was talking to a class of high school students, maybe college freshmen, and we asked the question, like, who wants to stay here? And, like, not a single hand went up. And I think that's kind of the age, though, too, right? We kind of always want to go somewhere different. We want mm -hmm. to leave. And that really can change the way that we see ourselves in the world and see our communities. I wanted to leave. I wanted mountains and ocean. I didn't want flat fields of corn yeah. and beans. Same with me. You know, I wanted sun. I wanted beaches. I wanted as far away from here as I could be. But look, we're both here in Muncie, Indiana. Yeah. And what, you know, I've seen my, my travels, the people who are the biggest agents of change in their communities have left in some regard. You know, I think about a young man I met and who started this program called the Oscar Foundation in India. 
who he lives in the slum community there in Mumbai, and he left and started to see things differently. And now he has a program where 3,000 kids are in school because he started to see different. Uh, I met a guy who was a refugee from the Burmese uprising and uh, eventually came back and saw things differently and started a program that's helping kids who work in tea shops there. Uh, A young woman in Kenya who actually came to Ohio you know, she came all the way to Ohio, started to see the world differently and went back and took the skills and the lessons that she learned and and suddenly realized that she valued so much of where she was from and is making an impact. Yeah, I, I feel like so often it takes leaving in order to see your community through a different lens. I mean, even for for us, I mean, you left for much longer than I did, but even the experiences that I've had outside of this community really shaped and influenced the work that I do and how I see the the world. And and that is done by experiences in, in other cultures, but it's also opening your eyes to people who are different than you are and understanding them and understanding their story and the influence that that can have on the way that you view your broader community and the impact and change that you want to make. I love how in Remembrance of a Legacy, the storyteller says, legacy, what a strange thing. And it really is, if you think about it, because oftentimes when I think about what what does legacy mean, I feel like it's passing on stories or values to your blowing up schools with dynamite no not blowing up schools with dynamite that would not be a legacy i think that my dad would have wanted me to continue but i just think about the idea of it's passing something on to your offspring but so many people aren't able to have children or choose not to have children and so what does that mean what does legacy mean and i'm one of those people where i've chosen not to have kids And people still say to me all the time, like, oh, you should have a kid or, hey, you want to watch my kid for the weekend? You may change your mind, want a kid. But, you know, at 40 years old, I've kind of in some ways gotten to a point where, like, even if I decide I wanted a kid now, I also think about how that could impact my future. So this whole idea of legacy for me comes back to what impact do I make in the world that can be left behind for other people because I have that pressure of leaving behind something, but I don't have anyone else to pass it on to. So for me, then that's reflected back out into the whole idea of community. And what does community mean to me, community here in our hometown? And what am I doing? What am I creating that can be lasting and impact people beyond my existence here in this world? Yeah, I mean, you can look at Glenn Miller, the big impact that he made on music. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what the storyteller shares in this is that it was people that made a big impact in him, not just to some major celebrity in his family tree. It was the day in, day out interactions with people. I think we both can think of people who've influenced our lives that weren't family members. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I can think of a teacher who said to me, like, uh, y- you can write. Yeah. And how big of an impact that can make or someone that sits and listens to you and takes you seriously. I think about 
all the people who participated in, in facing projects that have led mm. uh, us sitting right here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Barbara Bogue. Uh, you know, Barbara was someone who was one of my mentors when I was going through my writing program in, in undergrad. And Barbara was someone who encouraged me to continue to write. And I had stepped away from her and hadn't even thought about her for years. But you had a connection with Barbara outside of that. And, and work that she was doing beyond the time that I even knew Barbara as a student helped in re- influence what we're doing at the Facing Project. Yeah, for sure. So I, I met Barbara. I uh, was a volunteer and I was a big brother with Big Brothers and Big Sisters. And she had a in, writing in the community class. They got paired up with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And... Um, we got matched with one of our students and participated in this writing project. And the story that uh, we collaborated on was, you know, told on a stage. And I'm like, isn't this cool that you can actually like, use writing and storytelling to like impact the community? And you know, that's Barbara. She definitely played a, a piece in the what would later become the Facing Project. I also think about Molly Flotter with Teamwork for Quality Living, where you know, where this project really originated. And she had so much influence on the early parts of, of, of this project and helping lift up the stories of uh, and giving voice to individuals who live in our community in poverty. And without those people and many more, there would be no facing project, which has reached you know thousands of people participating in facing projects. So their their stories and their legacy is creating ripples that's going to last way beyond their time here, but even beyond people who they've they've touched and impacted beyond because of that. Yeah. You know, I think about the the three narratives too. And I think that also can kind of apply to communities. Like what's the story that communities tell themselves? Is it ascending? Is it descending? Is it oscillating? And the truth is it's it's oscillating, right? And that's yeah. the story that gives people the most ability to cope with the future. Because the future isn't always going to be ascending it's not always going to be descending that's hopeless but when it's this story of yes we can go through tough times and we can get through it together i think that's represented in in both of these stories and hope is something that we can embrace as communities because life's forever oscillating and that's real like a fan that's like a fan oscillating fan but not like dynamite blowing a hole in the ground that is not a good example of oscillating be a part of the legacy of the facing project we've now made it easier than ever to participate visit us online at facingproject.com to learn how to submit a story that will become part of our national archive and could be featured on this radio program this is where you can also find other facing project stories and how to start a full-fledged facing project in your community to listen to past episodes of this program visit indianapublicradio.org slash the facing project The Facing Project show is produced by Sean Ashcraft from Indiana Public Radio at Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana, and directed by Laura Williamson and Michael Dane, with editorial assistance provided by Amory Orchard. We are your hosts, Kelsey Timmerman and J.R. Jameson. Until next time, we wish you the courage to share your own story and the empathy to listen to others. 